Hello, this is the Healthcare Insights in Northwest North Carolina podcast. I am your host, Andrew Brewer, and today's guest is Amanda Clark, who's a health educator and the lead of the FROST, which is Forsyth Regional Opioid and Substance Use Team. She's also a substance use health educator in Forsyth County. But first, Amanda, why don't you just give us an overview of your background and, and how you got into this role you're in now? Sure. I've been in my current role in Forsyth County for about two years. I actually um, started right before the pandemic in January of 2020. Prior to that, I worked in Surrey County doing substance use and mental health education for the Health and Nutrition Center. Um, That was in Dobson, North Carolina. And then prior to that, I was in Greensboro. I actually have two college degrees from UNC Greensboro. I have a degree in sociology and then I have a master of public health. Um, I also have lived experience with myself and within my family with mental health and substance use. Give us an overview of the your current role and what Frost is and, and the kinds of things that you are doing in that, in that role. In a lot of aspects, I, I feel like my job is, um, my role is kind of that of professional dot connector. Um, a lot of what I do is just kind of um, making connections within our community, whether that be connecting people to resources that they need, or, you know, even connecting different agencies and different providers and different um, groups in the community that are doing work that kind of like, oh, you know, this person and this person should get together because they have, you know, similar goals or um, just kind of helping different agencies that are working on the same issues to, to coordinate their efforts better. Um, and then the, the other big part of what I do is community education and outreach about substance use Um, about harm reduction, overdose prevention, those kinds of things. So there's lots of classes that get taught, lots of different educational forums, um, just different ways of reaching out to the community to to educate them about these issues. And and where do you do these classes? Pretty much anywhere um, I get invited to do so. I know I've done classes um, for sometimes care providers, like for Novant Behavioral Health. I've done some classes for their, like both their participants and some of their staff. Um, I have worked at other community treatment providers to do staff training on overdose prevention and response. Um, We've held community classes at the Green Tree Peer Center, which were open for anybody in the community to attend that wanted to learn about overdose prevention, um, naloxone use, that kind of thing. I've done classes for church groups and um, all different kinds of things. So pretty much whoever is interested and whoever asks me, I will go. So connecting the dots and spreading the spreading the word. That's great. Give us a sense of what the situation on the ground is now in Forsyth County in our region when it comes to uh, substance use. And, and where are we? Where what are the trends? Uh, where do you see it going? And, and what are what are some of the possible solutions to remedy some of this? It's definitely a multifaceted approach to address some of the issues that we're seeing. Um, Forsyth County has tended to follow all the national trends when it comes to substance use as far as like overdose rates, um, what types of drugs we're seeing the most commonly. Um, Overdoses in general and overdose deaths have been increasing since 1999 when we started tracking that data. 
Forsyth County has followed along with that. Um, when I last checked on our, our county specific data, we were slightly above the state average for the rate of overdoses that we have. Um, I get all my information and help contribute through the State Opioid Action Plan Data Dashboard, which is a site that's hosted by the Department of Health and Human Services at the state level. Um, it's a really neat website. I can send you the link to it later if you'd like to share it. Um, but basically, it lets you track either on a state level or on a county-by-county county level um, various different factors relating to substance use, such as overdose rates, hospitalizations, um, access to things like naloxone and harm reduction services, access to treatment and different things like that. And you can just kind of see how our county compares to the state as a whole on factors. And how do we compare just at a glance? In some aspects, we're doing better. Um, we do have a really good access to naloxone in Forsyth County when compared to some other counties. Um, but like I said, we do still have a slightly higher than average overdose rate. Um, we're, we're just a little, just a hair above the state average. I can't remember exactly what the, the most recent number was off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's some ways we're doing better and some days we're doing worse. We're kind of right now statistically kind of in the middle of the pack. Mm -hmm. And how explain or, or, um, or, or describe how uh, the counties work uh, in conjunction with each other. Is there collaboration between counties and here in the region, or is uh, and, and where do you get your directives from? Is that from the state level or federal? I mean, just kind of riff on how it fits into a grander scheme of thing, and you know, even uh, how you interface with law enforcement and things like that. We do collaborate with other counties. I do collaborate with other counties when I'm able to. My position is actually pretty unique. There's only a handful of counties around the state that have someone based in their county government that do what I do. Um, many of them are based out of local health departments. Occasionally, it might be someone who works in um, like a hospital system or um, like I know some there's a couple of counties that have someone that does this that is actually their own department within county government rather than being within a health department or within social services or within something else like that. We actually were just selected by the state recently, Forsyth County was, to host the annual North Carolina Drug User Health Summit. So that actually took place on Friday, June 17th at the Benton Convention Center. And we had about 200 folks from all across the state that came here and convened. And we had sessions about everything from drug policy to getting community buy-in to address substance use to um, increasing access to treatment and other services that were needed um, and even how to build a more recovery-friendly community. So there were all kinds of things that were going on, and that was a really, really great conference and a really good way to bring people from all over North Carolina together. And we got to showcase a little bit of the work that was going on in Forsyth County, too, which was nice. Has the trend been to shift away from law enforcement into recovery and more community-based health approach versus uh, incarceration and that kind of thing? Those are the general trends that, that seem to be prevailing. Yeah, we've spent the last, you know, 30 to 40 years or more trying to arrest our way out of the drug problems that we've had in our communities, and it hasn't really worked. And so when something's not working, either you can keep doing it and keep getting what you've got or you can try something new. Thankfully, there's been a lot of push towards trying new things. And so that could be 
providing more trauma-informed care from a healthcare perspective and kind of learning to ask the question, you know, what happened to you instead of what's wrong with you when you're working with individuals, moving from, you know, a little more restorative justice lens when it comes to the criminal justice system rather than just in, you know, incarcerating people and having all these, you know, mandatory long sentences for things, um, giving people a chance to restore themselves and to to have another chance to do things, being more supportive of those who are in recovery. Um, so that could could be anything from like, like one of the things that Forsyth County actually has done recently is ban the box on our employment applications, which is basically means that we're not going to take into account if you have a, a prior conviction um, or arrest record. And we did that so that we could actually be able to hire peer support specialists for our stepping up program and for some of our other games. Um, and, you know, peer support specialists are people with lived experience. They often do have criminal histories um, and things like that that would otherwise prevent a lot of folks from being employed. So just moving towards things like that, moving towards, you know, educating employers about substance use so they understand what's going on um, and how to handle cases where somebody may have had a history of substance use or be in recovery and that kind of thing. So let's talk a little bit about harm reduction um, for our listeners who are not familiar and I imagine most people are, but um, just kind of give a quick summary of what harm reduction is. Harm reduction is, in, it's in a lot of ways, is the front lines and the very first steps to addressing substance use. Somebody's never going to have a chance to do anything differently or make any different decisions if they're dead. Harm reduction is something that we usually apply to drug use and addiction, but Harm reduction is something that all of us usually practice every day without even realizing it. It's why we wear a seatbelt when we get in the car or why we use sunscreen when we're going to go to the beach or the pool, um, why we might check the expiration date on our food before we eat it, things like that. Um, harm reduction is really considered anything that you do that can reduce the potential amount of harm being done by a certain behavior or action. And so harm reduction when it comes to substance use can look like a lot of things. It can look like, you know, naloxone access, which is, you know, naloxone is the overdose reversing drug. Um, it can look like access to safe supplies, access to testing for STIs, HIV, hepatitis, things like that. Um, and it's really just an important step to keep people safe, um, no matter what kind of behaviors they may be exhibiting. Now, in those environments, let's just say needle exchange or safe place to use and things like that, you know, the critics would say, you know, you're just enabling. Um, but it does seem to be providing a conduit for maybe counseling and, and other services that when someone's ready, they know where to to get those type of that type of help. Um, would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I would. The CDC has actually been researching various harm reduction efforts and programs like syringe exchanges for about the last 30 years. And what they found is people that participate in harm reduction activities are five times more likely to seek help than those who don't. It's also just a lot about not feeling judged and not feeling afraid to ask for help. Uh, stigma is a huge thing that we deal with. Um, and it's what prevents a lot of people from asking for help because they, you know, are scared to even let anybody know they have a problem. And a lot of folks who work in harm reduction are folks who have lived experience of some kind, whether it's themselves, a family member, whatever. 
And a lot of times folks just feel like, hey, that's that that's the person or those are the people I can go to. They're not going to judge me if I tell them what's going on with me. They're just going to help me get what I need. And so a lot of times, yeah, I mean, our our syringe service program that we have here in Forsyth County connects people to treatment and healthcare resources all the time. A lot of times the the folks that come to them are they come to them before they would ever go to a doctor or social worker or anybody else that could help them. So that's a huge deal. Thanks for that. What would you say is the biggest issue right now as far as substance use in our area? Is it still opioids and fentanyl or or is there another profile present? Yeah, so so COVID has made things interesting. Um, you know, we've been having a, a, a crisis with opiates now for some time that started with Oxycontin back in the 90s and 2000s, then switched to heroin when pills became harder to get, and then probably about five or six years ago is when fentanyl entered the the game and just changed it completely. Um, I don't see fentanyl going away anytime soon. We see fentanyl in all kinds of drugs, even drugs that are non-opiates. Usually like even when we distribute naloxone, sometimes if somebody says, well, well, I do cocaine, I don't need that naloxone stuff. Or, you know, I just do a little bit of Molly on the weekends or something like that. Well, yes, you still need naloxone because we've there's been fentanyl found in all of those different kinds of drugs from meth to cocaine to anything else you can think of, um, which has really been a game changer and made made the drug supply a lot more dangerous than it was. But we've seen a lot of rise recently since the the start of the COVID pandemic with alcohol and with meth. Um, So opioids are still a major player in the game when it comes to the drug use and drug supply in our area. But I would say that definitely things like alcohol and meth are trending up as well. So that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Tell me what success for you looks like. I mean, just a real uh, high resolution example of what something that you do that that provides a benefit or immediate uh, result. What does that look like? Sometimes it's just little things of like, you know, somebody comes to you and they say, hey, I'm really struggling with finding a place to live, or I have this health concern and I haven't been able to get it addressed or I can't afford to see a doctor or whatever. And, and just being able to connect someone with, Hey, here's a, here's a low cost clinic or a free clinic that you could go to, or, Hey, here are some nonprofit organizations that could help you pay your rent or buy groceries. I have had parents and other community members come to me before that have said, Hey, how do I get naloxone? Where can I get naloxone? I've I tried to get it from a pharmacy and it, you know, cost a, it was going to cost a lot of money. It was going to cost me like 80 or $100 or um, I wanted to get naloxone to carry. But then, you know, my insurance company started thinking that I might be a drug user and, you know, was ca- it, there was causing all kinds of issues. And just being able to say, hey, you know, here's the places you can get naloxone for free or, hey, I'll get I have some naloxone right now in my office. Let me go get it for you Um, or letting them know that they can come get it any time from public health from the front desk. And just a lot of simple things like that, that people just, you know, the resources are there, but they may not be aware of it or may not know how to access it and being able to connect those dots for people. It's a small thing, but for those people, especially the people who are out there witnessing overdoses and different things like that on a regular basis, it's a big deal. Big deal for someone to get a need met. How do you interface with health uh, departments, health clinics, uh, hospitals, doctors' offices? 
we have a lot of representatives from medical establishments on our frost coalition. Um, so they do, they come to meetings, they let us know what's going on, keep us updated um, as far as what they're seeing, what kinds of trends they're experiencing, if they're having certain issues with a lot of patients or if they're seeing some certain thing recurring, like, you know, one of the things that's been on the rise lately is endocarditis. And that is something that is commonly caused by um, injection drug use. And so it's another place where harm reduction can come in and hopefully be able to help decrease the amount of endocarditis cases we're seeing if people are able to use more safely or they're able to get help um, so they're not using any more at all. Um, but just making sure that we stay connected and stay on the same page and are, you know, coordinating our efforts um, as far as how we're able to um, address patients' needs. Role play for a minute. I'm the biggest critic against harm reduction. You're just enabling addicts to be addicts. You know, educate me and, and give me the reasons why harm reduction and, and not stigmatizing drug users is the right approach. My favorite phrase is that the only thing naloxone enables is breathing. It enables somebody to see another day and enables somebody to, you know, make different decisions, uh, make different choices tomorrow. And I always feel like and think that a lot of people who are very vehemently against a lot of harm reduction efforts wouldn't feel that way if it was their their child or their spouse or their friend that was experiencing it. Um, a lot of people, once they have some personal experience with it, they feel very differently. Um, and some of the things that seem to help the most is sharing personal stories. Uh, we actually have a social media and flyer um, and radio campaign going right now to educate about naloxone and about harm reduction. And what we chose to do was actually use personal stories from people who live here in Forsyth County. And so we've got stories from people who have been revived themselves with naloxone, um, we've got, you know, somebody that lost their child to an overdose that's sharing about their experiences. We even have a first responder that shares about his experiences and what it's like to, to save someone's life with naloxone. Um, and it seems like those personal stories really do have an effect on people, which I, I'm, I'm really glad for. I think that, that that's a, a huge thing. Now, does Forsyth County have needle exchange and things like that? Yeah, so every I think everybody's talking about safe consumption sites or they're sometimes called overdose prevention sites. Politically, we're a long ways from that in North Carolina, um, even though we do have a population of people who would love to see that. Um, and there's a lot of really great research and data surrounding overdose prevention sites, um, like the fact that they do have a 100 percent death prevention rate. Um, there are lots of overdose prevention sites around the world and no one has ever died at any of them. But we do have a syringe service program in Forsyth County. They are a nonprofit and they operate out of Green Street Church. They're called Twin City Harm Reduction Collective. And we have a lot of partnerships with them through Frost and through public health. So we help provide some funding through grants. Um, we partner to offer testing for various kinds of diseases. Um, we go out and do a lot of community education together. Um, like, for instance, we were just out at Winston-Salem Pride this weekend handing out naloxone and fentanyl test strips and some other things and doing education with folks. And Twin City does a lot of great work. Um, they've been open ever since syringe exchanges were legalized in North Carolina, which was in 2016. 
And they have grown exponentially as, you know, people have found out about their services and thankfully more and more people are utilizing it. Um, the first year they were open, they gave out about 6,000 syringes and just a few hundred Narcan kits. And in 2021, they gave away almost half a million syringes and almost 3,000 Narcan kits or wow. Nalox, which is awesome. You know, what would be the education you would have for frontline caregivers and, say, emergency uh, departments? And, you know, I guess EMT is probably already skilled on that. But, you know, just kind of an overview of of, of how substance users um, who might end up in the clinic, how they should be received and treated and, and just kind of the, the overview that, that you might give someone like that. My main my main advice or my main concerns for that is to just make sure you're treating people like people. Um, a lot of times people who use drugs, um, sometimes their concerns or their pain isn't taken uh, seriously. They it's very commonly, you know, that they would be accused of just trying to get some more drugs. You know, I've heard of situations where. And this has all happened in the Northwest area of North Carolina. But I've heard of situations where people who use drugs have gone to emergency rooms because they were having some kind of serious medical issue. In one case, um, someone was barely able to walk and they weren't taken seriously. And in some cases, the cops were even called. So just making sure that you're you're treating these people like people and addressing their concerns and not just being dismissive. And compassion fatigue is real. Um I work in public health and I've worked in public health all through a pandemic. Compassion fatigue and just fatigue for your job in general is real and burnout is real. So, yeah, sometimes it's going to be frustrating when you see the same person doing the same thing over and over and over again. And sometimes that's just somebody's disease process. You know, addiction and drug use is an issue with your brain and a psychological and a mental disease and issue. And so, Somebody may not get it the first hundred times, and then on the hundred and first time, the light bulb goes off, and you just really know when that's going to be. Um, so it's just it's really important to treat them like people, and even if you're seeing somebody over and over again, to just try really hard not to lose hope, and and you know just know that others do see and understand your frustrations because we've all been there in some way or another. We all have our own addictions and our own things that we deal with. We need to just try to be a little bit kinder and more more open and try not to judge somebody just because the issues that they deal with may be different than the issues that we deal with. Yeah, I love what you said. You know, they're still human um, and, and they, have, they have their own issues. And, you know, just because it's substance use is their disease doesn't mean that they can't, they don't need to be need to be or deserve to be treated. I was at the NC community, one community in recovery conference recently and just seeing the and hearing the really uplifting and heartfelt sharing of stories of people there in a lot of the peer support communities and the excitement that people have when they finally get themselves into recovery and then in maintenance phase for you know, staying sober and, and, and just the real deep down desire to help others and mm -hmm. to, you know, to really get a new lease on life and, and share that excitement with, with others who may not be there yet, but to approach those people with compassion. And one of the sessions I was in, the guy gets up there and he goes, we love people 
we love people who use drugs. If you love people, you love all people. Because they use drugs doesn't mean you, you can't love them. It was touching, it really was, to, 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 to witness that firsthand. Just want to throw that out there. I don't know. You, you I think you've been in some of our Northwest AHEC programs. I have, yeah. I actually, the, the One Community and Recovery Conference is actually one that I did a presentation at. A really good one. Yeah, that's a that's a well attended and and popular um, event we have every year in the springtime. What other upcoming things do you have on your radar that people might want to know about? We're in the process of putting together an event for um, International Overdose Awareness Day, which is going to be on August thirty first. Um, so I don't have a lot of details about that other than that it is going to be um, in the evening on Wednesday, August 31st here in Winston-Salem. But stay tuned for more details on that. Um, International Overdose Awareness Day is something that happens every year um, and is, you know, just an opportunity to come together and um, learn about ways to prevent overdose and honor those who have passed away and offer our support to family and friends and things like that. And so we have, it's been a little while since we've had a big event in Winston-Salem for this. So we're hoping we can make it really good. Nice. Is there any significance uh, behind the date, August 31st? I know that September is National Recovery Month. So to me, it always coincides nicely with having Overdose Awareness Day be the last day of August right before Recovery Awareness Month starts in September. I think that it kind of is alluding to better things to come and, and brighter days in the future in that way. Back to the frontline um, healthcare workers. If let's say they're meeting a patient with compassion and they're really concerned with them, what are some of the community resources that you would encourage them to refer to? Um, of course, I, I, I always recommend and make sure that people know about Twin City Harm Reduction just because the work that they do is, is great in keeping people safe and keeping people healthy. Um, they actually helped our public health department curb a hepatitis outbreak back in 2019, which was wonderful. I also love that to, to let people know about the Green Tree Peer Center, because I think especially for someone dealing with substance use, peer support is critical. And Green Tree has, you know, not only support groups and peer activities and therapeutic groups and things like that, but they also have a refuge house where people can go for up to 24 hours when they're in crisis and actually just have a space to calm, be calm and talk to a peer if they want to and just kind of reset themselves and figure out what they're going to do next. And then just making sure that people are aware of all the different recovery resources and treatment resources in the community as well. We have, you know, abstinence-based treatment. We have medication-assisted treatment programs. We have all kinds of different support groups from 12-step to faith-based to all kinds of other things. And just making sure that people know, like, you know, if you if you wanted to go to a meeting, a support group meeting in Forsyth County every day, you could. There would be something that you could do every single day if you wanted to. And the great thing that a lot of people don't realize that is kind of one of the benefits to the COVID pandemic is that there's a lot of supports that are online now. Um, there's a website called intherooms.com, which is a website where you can go to and get support for recovery or support for substance use issues 24-7. Um, there's always meetings going on. There's always support available there. And that's something that, that really wasn't very widely available before COVID. Our solution to addiction is is connection. And so 
connecting to those other you know people that understand you and have a f- similar experiences and, and and compassion and meeting you where you are that's that's actually seems to be the start of connection that could bring someone out of out of their disease say absolutely and it it kind of goes back to the point you were making i think you had asked a question earlier about changing the way that we're looking at things, going from more from a law enforcement to other other methods to try to to address these issues and stuff. And that's that that connection piece is a really huge, a huge one. Um, I know a colleague of mine from Greensboro recently was quoted and and somebody asked her about that. And connection is so important. And that's one of the things that we're really good at taking away from people who use drugs and people who deal with addiction is that we think that if we just take enough things away from them, that they'll change. Like, oh, if they lose this or if they lose that or if we take away their right to do this or whatever um, or their abilities to do that, then they'll change. And really, honestly, what happens is if you take enough things away from somebody um, and they feel like they've really lost everything, a lot of times that is the point at which someone will use drugs until they die is when they feel like they've lost everything. And having those connections and those folks, you know, treating them in a non-judgmental manner and things like that really can be enough to help turn somebody's life around. The difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation for behavior change, because, you know, the likelihood that extrinsic motivation works is very low. But once you find a reason, once you find a why... Um, as the saying goes, once you have your why, you can endure almost any how and get through that. So I think, you know, once someone has connections and feels like there's more, you know, there, there, there's, there's a reason, uh, for me to be here. There's meaning, there's purpose in connection with others. And then even, you know, finding something to be occupied with, um, whether it is just meeting with people, um, that, that can be an intrinsic motivator for behavior change and i wanted to ask you know we talk a lot about in in sociology and social issues about root causes you know so just thinking about root causes and and solutions because we talk a lot about root causes but we don't really talk that much about solutions to that so knowing all the myriad of factors, and I know it's multifaceted, and I know it's complex factors in society that foster uh, substance use disorder and things like that. What what do you see like are the you know the the big solutions out there? What what if we could do anything? What would we do more of to uh, to get more people out of out of uh, their substance use issues? That's a big question. So if I really wanted to, we could be here all afternoon discussing that truthfully. But really, the way that I'm not I I would say that this is just the way that I look at it. But I know there are a lot of folks out there that that see it this way as well. But um, a good way to look at it is that substance use disorder is not necessarily a problem in and of itself. It is a symptom of some of the bigger problems that we have in our society. And a lot of those things, whether it be mental health or something else, um, when it comes down to it, for whatever reason, a lot of people just don't like the way they feel and they want to do something to feel or be different, which oftentimes is what leads to drug use. 
the things that cause that are wide and varied. It could be things like poverty, things like discrimination or sexism or racism or trauma they've experienced, whether as a child or as an adult, different levels of stress. Really, substance use disorder is just kind of a symptom of how overall unhealthy and unhappy our society is um, or can be. And so really, really, really big picture, like backing up, looking this, looking at this at a way macro level, um, anything you can do, anything you can do to address things like poverty and inequalities and discrimination and trauma that people experience and helping people become more resilient and things like that. Anything you can do to address those big picture issues is going to in turn have an effect on drug use and substance use disorder um, because we we got to do a better job of meeting the root needs of people, um, whether that be better health care access, more building re- building of resiliency, doing things to address housing issues and income inequality, you know, all ma- just making sure people's needs are met, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Anything you can do to help with that is all going to, in turn, have an effect on substance use. I would like to add, and, and tell me if this statement is true, that substance use disorder is non-discriminatory and very diverse. It is. There's There's been different trends throughout history where different communities have been disproportionately affected. And, you know, that still even happens sometimes to this day when you look at things like naloxone access, the way certain laws are written regarding substance use and treatment and things like that. So there's there's still some inequalities at play there and certain certain communities can be affected disproportionately. Um, but it is something that ultimately, at the end of the day, can affect you no matter what race or gender or socioeconomic status you are or where you live or anything like that. So if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing in this world that might help this problem, what would it be? I think the biggest thing for me at this point is um, addressing the stigma around it. That is one of the single biggest issues. Um, you know, I could I could say it's healthcare access. I could say it has to do with mental health. I could say it has to do with any of those other issues that I mentioned earlier. But I think stigma is the biggest one because we really like to judge other people and think things that make ourselves feel better than other people sometimes. And just addressing that stigma of making sure somebody's not afraid to ask for what they need. At the end of the day, you know, whether somebody has the resources or not doesn't even matter if they're too afraid to ask for help and they're too afraid what, you know, their family or their job or their church or whatever is going to think of them or what's going to happen. Great. All right. Well, switching gears a little bit, tell us something uh, about Amanda. What do you love to do in your free time? Yeah. So in my free time, I like to do pretty much anything that gets me outside. So I like to kayak. I like to hike. I like to go fishing. Um, I have two dogs and I love to play with them and take them places. So I just anything that's going to get me outside and get me moving is going to be something that I enjoy. So let uh, people know how to find out more information about you and your role and the things going on in Forsyth County. My phone number is 336-486-0103. 
We also can be found on Facebook. The Frost Group can. It's facebook.com slash Forsyth Team. Uh, that's Forsyth, T-E-A-M. We've also got a website, which I can send you the link. Well, I'll post it in the description. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that, yeah, feel free to reach out to me anytime. Um, I love to go out in the community and teach and help people, you know, help people learn about this, help people learn about the resources that are available, all that stuff. So if, so if I'm a community organization uh, or, you know, some, some sort of group and I, I'd like to educate my members, um, how do I contract with you to do that? Just contact you and work it out or how's that yeah, work? Just, just contact me and we will look at our schedules and calendars and figure out something that works. Um, there's no fees or costs for anything. You know, I, I work through public health at Forsyth County, so we, you know, this is this is what I do. All right. Well, Amanda Clark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on today. All right. Thank you for having me.